Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uptana, and today we'll be working with spirit guides and how to consciously communicate with them. Each living person has a team of guides, or entourage as it were. They are beings who have agreed their sole purpose, while we're embodied, is to support us in this life. The average number of guides is three to seven, depending on the needs of the soul and the life they have planned. Most people never notice them, because, like good backstage hands, guides work behind the scenes and try to keep themselves out of the way so the focus can be on the actors and the stage. These spirit guides are responsible for supporting various aspects of the embodied soul's experience. They are there to have our backs, fill in the gaps, help us to achieve what we're striving for at any given moment, try to keep us on the straight and narrow so we don't get too far off track, and provide the necessary stimulus for each phase of our embodied life, however we have it laid out. In general, all guides have to work within specific guidelines. The first and most important of all is they cannot take away our free will. We are not puppets they're controlling. Quite the opposite, in fact. We are free agents who can do whatever we wish in each moment. We're the ones in control, the ones in the driver's seat, and with boots on the ground, quite literally. Unless specifically contracted to do otherwise, Guides are required to interact with us in a way which doesn't attract our conscious attention. No appearing visually to provide us messages from on high, writing things in the sand or dust or dirt in clear language, no whispering whole paragraphs in our ears like someone giving us the answers to the test on the sly, or popping whatever tool we need into our hands like a genie. That would be cool but would also interrupt what we're trying to do here. There is a caveat to this, however. If we consciously reach out to contact them, then they are allowed to interact with us more directly, respond to requests, and become more directly involved in our life, per our invitation. This is why it's important to know how to communicate clearly with them so we're able to give them the permission they need to more fully interact. The way to understand this is to think of your guides not as enlightened spiritual beings who are acting as authorities or parents to us, but instead as employees who we've hired to help us accomplish a task. We're the leader of our team and the only one with authority to determine how we are interacted with and how much. Pleas for our guides to take on this responsibility will go unheeded since they can't. They're here to support us, but not to co-opt our lives. They can speak to us, but we have to tell them that it's okay to do so. We must therefore first understand who it is we are speaking to. People have from three to seven guides, depending on their needs for the embodied life and their needs in general. While they work together as an integrated team for our best and highest good within the parameters of this life, there are general roles which they fulfill. The most common roles are physicality, making sure the physical body works within the specified parameters. This doesn't necessarily mean staying healthy, 
The body is required to signal when we're out of balance, making choices counter to our best interests or straying from our soul path. It's also meant to support emotional processing, participate in deep healing of negativity, and encourage soul growth, all of which can cause what appear to be health crises. Our physical guide monitors this while trying to help us understand what is happening and what it all means. As a side note, for those who need one, this is the guide who shows up in childhood as our invisible friend or the advisor when our psychic gifts remain on after age seven. They are also often what is being described when, as a child, we see our guardian angel. The next is relationships. This guide supports us in all levels of connection. They work to position us so we're in the right place at the right time to meet someone we have a contract with. They also help us write contracts on the fly when an unexpected opportunity arises. They amplify and refine the energetic signal we put out when we're attempting to connect with a certain type of person or activity. This makes them part of the synchronicity when a job opportunity, a trip, or some other desire manifests perfectly. Number three is logistics, helping us to manifest the physical things we need to survive and thrive. This guide works within the choices and parameters we set to make sure we have food, shelter, clothing, transportation, and so on. They monitor the systems we're working with and help us to navigate them, whether this be legal, medical, corporate, religious, family, or anything else structural we interact with. Number four is personal spiritual path, making sure we keep in alignment with our own soul during the journey. This isn't necessarily about enlightenment, about remembering a higher self or releasing to the next level of beingness. For some embodied beings, this is simply about being here and following through on the role, lesson, or challenge the soul has agreed to. For others, It's about remembering who they are and incorporating a more full understanding of what it means to be. Five is spiritual service. For those who come not for their own lessons or becoming, but to be in service to others, a guide will have been selected to support them in adding this aspect into their embodied life. A service comes in every form from energy healing to NGO worker, nonprofit executive to therapist, soup kitchen employee to architect, the guide provides support to the soul in finding the best means for doing their chosen service or services. This includes helping them select from a variety of options, finding the right avenues to pursue within that option, and then implementing. So when it comes to spirit guides, being a spirit guide is in itself a type of service. As a soul matures, one of the career options available is to become a guide to those embodying. Not everyone has the aptitude to do this type of work, and like all skill-based activities, each being will have areas where they excel and others where they struggle. Each of us is capable of increasing our level of access to our guides and facilitating the communication process, but before delving into the how, it's helpful to look at the who. Each of our spirit guides is a person. They are a unique individual with their own experiences, personality, and capabilities. In embodied life, the way in which we identify individuals is by name, and this is one of the first things we ask for or look into when attempting to connect with a spirit guide. What's their name? 
and it's something which trips people up on a regular basis. Names are unique to embodied existence. When communication is through thought and feeling, when an intimate conversation means interpenetrating each other, who you are is your name. There's no other soul but you, so there's no confusion in who you are or need to represent yourself in symbol form. Names are a means for souls who communicate in linear time via physical expression to indicate which individual they're referring to or who they are separate from others. We're taught this means of expression and interacting with our world almost immediately through repetition, associating the being who is caring for us as mama or dada, for example. By the time we are seeking conscious connection with our guides, our desire to know who they are by knowing a name is instinctive. So when a guide is asked what their name is, they have a range of choices. To provide their true name is to prevent us with direct, unmediated connection to themselves. The Bible describes this experience when discussing how people are unable to look at angels directly because their light is too bright and their faces too overwhelming. This violates the communication requirement of non-intrusion, so they don't engage at that level. Some choose the simplest expedient of taking on what we would think of as a nickname. They choose something easy for their person to pronounce, which promotes a feeling of camaraderie while, at the same time, representing a bit of their own personality and their role. Hence, there are quite a number of guides with names like Chuck, Roger, Claire, and so on. Guides sometimes choose to use their title rather than a nickname, but the effect is the same. If they work in the Angel Corps under the auspices of the Archangel Michael, they might call themselves Michael. The same for any of the Corps, like those working under Gabriel, Raphael, or Uriel, for example. Some guides choose to use a name they've acquired through their own embodied experience. Usually this is a name they have pleasant associations with and which is pronounceable and understandable to their person. There's no use in using a name which the person can't pronounce or even understand clearly, unless you want frustration or a sitcom type of humorous experience. When offered a preference of identification rather than the need for a name, guides choose to be represented visually. The way in which we process visual information is much more akin to the holistic communication methods souls use when they're in their natural state. With a visual, we take in not only data, but we react emotionally and are able to connect spiritually. We're moved on multiple levels simultaneously and so able to understand more comprehensively even if we are not conscious of doing this. This is why guides, when asked the question of who they are, often present a visual image. They may choose something which is non-gender specific or a gender which effectively represents the role they play for this person. They may associate themselves with a character from TV, movies, or books, someone from our past or a historical figure which helps us understand their personality somewhat like an icon allows us to access an app or program. This visual naming mode extends into the physical, like icons or devotional candles, from medallions to be worn or figurines representing the deities. Physical representations allow us to focus our thoughts and our communications with beings who are not physically embodied. They facilitate relationship by bringing the beings into our lives in a tangible way. 
This also works well for our spirit guides. A physical object can be selected which then represents a spirit guide just like a bowl of water can be used as a representation of the ocean or a candle to symbolize the element fire. Asking a guide what they would like to be represented by can facilitate closer relationship and communication. What they prefer, how they help you acquire or create it, and how it is to be utilized provide deep levels of connection and meaning about who they are and who they are to you. So now that you have a better idea of who you're talking to and what they're doing for you, here are some ways that you can get better, clearer, and more conscious communication going with them. With all of these suggestions, you need to remember communication takes two parties. It's a conversation, not a movie or a binge on Netflix. So you need to be as active in each process as they are. One, give them permission to provide you clear messages when you're dreaming. In general, Just as they aren't allowed to show up in a vision while you're driving or in a Zoom meeting with someone, they aren't allowed to pop into your dreams and start giving you directions on how to fix whatever problem you're working through. They're able. They just aren't allowed. You can give them explicit permission to be more direct in your dreams and to help you remember those dreams. You can do this in a number of ways such as going into meditation and explicitly saying you're adjusting the contract so they can work this way with you. Don't request that they do so. State they can. Remember, you're the leader of the team and the only one who has authority to make this adjustment. You can also do this through prayer in any means by which you practice prayer. You can state this when you're preparing to sleep. So not only is the statement going out to them, but Also, you'll be open and receptive to their response. If you work with altars, you can write this statement out, then put it on the altar and activate it through prayer or lighting incense or lighting a candle. I recommend doing this hours prior to sleeping, as you shouldn't sleep with a lit candle for safety reasons, and having active prayers going on your altar can keep you from sleeping. 2. Set specific times when you're available to receive message. Daily or weekly, you can state you're available for message. Keep a regular-ish schedule or select a specific place or activity which signals you're ready to receive message from them. If they know when in time you're going to be available, they can have the message ready to go. Having a specific geographic location in the world or in your home can help you get used to letting the regular world drop away and put you in the right frame of being for receiving their wisdom. It also signals to them it's time to start communicating. I recommend when you do this, you don't come with a bunch of questions. Instead, ask your questions or send out your requests throughout the day and week so they have time to work on them. Then be open to the answers during your specified time and place. You can also ask that the information come in a more clear fashion than a random feeling or fortune cookie statement. It might not be possible for them to provide it in any other manner, depending on other factors, but if it is, then you'll be relieved to have to work just that much less to gain clarity. Three, make sure what you're asking is not too general or too specific for a response. One of the biggest frustrations I hear from guides is their person asks for something so generic, they don't have any way to answer it, such as, What do I need to know for my best and highest good? For most people, 
Any answer to this question would contain world peace as well as a healthy salad and everything in between. Your guides don't have the right to select one thing from all of those possibilities, as doing so has a great possibility of interfering with your free will. So they remain silent. Questions or requests which are too specific often get the silences the best answer response as well. The best example of this is the young person who just has to date this other person. They just have to! They pray to make it happen, talk to anyone who will listen, and put the not inconsiderable weight of all their energy into it, and yet it doesn't happen. Or it does, with not the best results ever. Guides aren't able to interfere with a life, so they can't stop you from doing any of this. But they won't help to achieve something which can't be achieved. The other person's free will is just as important as yours, too, and they can't interfere with it. So make sure what you're asking for is in between these two extremes. Be directed in what you want, but not so specific it's impossible to deliver. Four, meet your guides halfway. You can work with your guides directly in the Akashics. Think of it as the opposite of receiving messages through dreams. Instead of them coming to you during your sleep, you come to them when you're awake. In my classes, Akashic Records Level 1 and Finding Your Calling in the Akashics, I introduce students to their own room in the Akashics. This is their own personal space. It's filled with items which are symbols for aspects of their life here and provides a private space for them to work. This is where they meet their animal guide and can do personal work on any or all aspects of their current life, as well as get a clearer picture of what is going on for them in various aspects. It's a great way to get an eagle's eye view of what is going on so you can see the bigger picture in events. In this room, you can invite your guides to meet with you for direct conversation. They can present themselves in an embodied form which represents their personality and their role when speaking with you directly concerning any matter you choose or respond to questions and requests you've already made. For those of you who are already students, you can do this easily using the meditations you're already using. Simply think you'll meet one of your spirit guides rather than an animal guide when you enter your room, and this will send out the invitation to your guides. If you think you'll meet one, then only one will respond. If you think you'll meet the entire team, then they'll all be invited. This isn't a summons, so they may not all appear, but it'll be more likely than not. For those of you who are not yet students, I've created a meditation which you can use. I'll put a link to it in the podcast description. Everyone has guides who are supporting them in this embodied life. We can improve the amount of support we receive by actively participating in the communication process. And that's all the time we have this week. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can see all my other offerings and get regular updates about what I'm working on at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.